0: I am Citizen 44.
1: Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 56. Pretty great show we have today. Two of the nicest men I know and definitely two model citizens in Ashland, Oregon. My primary guest is Mr. Robert Wagner. And no, not the Robert Wagner actor dude from all kinds of things, including an episode of Seinfeld. But Robert Wagner, who takes people out on vision quests and helps them find themselves and find meaning in their lives. And he's just a really, really nice man. So that's Robert Wagner, he's coming up. Also a conversation with Ashland Police Chief, Ty O'Mara based on the show I did a couple of weeks ago with Alea Katani from KAWS, Keeping Ashland Women Safe. Ty was kind enough to grant me some time so he could talk about how the Ashland Police Department is collaborating with KAWS in an effort to address assault and other such crimes against women in Ashland, Oregon. First, we're gonna hear from the Chief of Police, Ty O'Mara. And then we're going to listen to my conversation with the not-actor guy, Robert Wagner. Here we go. Ty
2: O'Mara.
1: Mark Ahrensberg.
2: Hi, Mark. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, Ty. How are you doing, man?
2: Good. I missed the interview the other day, but I was on a much-needed break.
1: Oh, no, no. I know how challenging your job, well, I don't really know, but I can only (laughs) venture to try and imagine how challenging your job is, and you've got to, of course, get away so you can clear your head and be fresh for your job.
2: Yeah, well, I'm all recharged now, and I'm happy to help out with anything I can.
1: Can I ask where you went?
2: Yeah, I was one week in Ireland, and then a week in England and Scotland, and then back to Ireland for one more night, and I came back on Monday and got back into the office yesterday.
1: That sounds like a fantastic trip. Have you ever been to those places before?
2: No, it was my first time. I've been to Germany a few times, but uh, I've been wanting to go to Ireland for a long time, where my family's from, and uh, it's been a long-term goal of mine, so I'm glad I finally did it.
1: Did you run into anybody you're maybe quasi-related to?
2: You know, I'm going to say no, but I'll also say that on my last day there, I was at a pub and I was talking to a guy and he... His family's from the same county that my family's from, and I said my last name is Omera and he said, oh, my last name's Kennedy, but my mom is an O'Mara. That was her maiden name. So I'm not going to say that I'm related to the guy, but we're from the same county and have some connection in there somewhere. Is
1: O'Mara a, a typical Irish name?
2: It's a very Irish name, and it is from County Tipperary and a town there, maybe like Tula Moore or something like that. So, yeah, Omer is an Irish
1: name. So you're literally part of a song, practically. Two songs. Isn't that temporary? Isn't that? (laughs) Yeah. Welcome back. And uh, the reason that I contacted you was I did a show a couple of weeks ago with Alea Kitani, who started a nonprofit organization in Ashland with the acronym KAWS, or Keeping Ashland Women Safe and had mentioned that she was working with your department, and I thought it would be important to talk to you about how you are related to that organization and what kind of work you guys are doing together based on, clearly, there is a problem, not only in Ashland, of course, this is a global problem, but that there seems to be some additional concerns in Ashland about the safety of women.
2: Yeah, right now what we're doing and i'm very grateful that Alea and the rest of the group contacted me right now what we're doing is trying to kind of assess what's going on and it's easy for the police department to respond to any member of the community but we're talking about our our women who are more subjected to bad behavior and are at greater risk than our male community members are uh it's very easy for us to respond when a woman calls 911 and says, hey, this happened to me, it's a crime, go do something about it. That's pretty easy to respond to. It's much more problematic when a woman is subjected to feeling ill at ease or she is victimized in a way that doesn't quite meet the threshold of a crime if they're subjected to catcalling and lewd behavior and whatnot. And that stuff has been tolerated in our society for far too long. So what we're trying to do right now is just get a sense for where and how our female community members feel ill at ease in ways that don't necessarily rise to the level of a crime, not that we're ignoring the crime that's happening in there, but, you know, where do you feel ill at ease when you're walking home from the bar at 2 o'clock in the morning or when you're walking home from work at midnight? Where do you feel unsafe because you have to walk through a group of people that generally are saying rude and lewd things to you? So right now, as I see it, in kind of the infancy of this partnership, what we're trying to do is listen and figure out how we can better understand what the female members of the community are experiencing so we can direct patrols in that area and strategize ways to make them feel more safe as they go about their lives in Ashland.
1: I really appreciate that. I have my daughter, who's 17, and her mother And I'd never said this before, but after that show, not that I wanted to strike any kind of panic in them, but I said, you know, you might want to consider carrying some pepper spray or something on you just as a precautionary measure. I don't want to instill fear in anybody because Ashland's a very sweet place, but there are some contributing factors, of course. And I know that drugs and alcohol play a potential part in some of that problematic behavior that's happening. What is the department's feelings about what is going on in town.
2: Well, Ashland is as safe a town as any town is, but Ashland isn't surrounded by a bubble like we want to believe it is. So yeah, there's crime here, there's victimization here, drinks get spiked here, and there are sexual assaults, and there are physical assaults, and there's amongst that is a wonderful town that is a pretty sweet place to live. But it would be foolish of us to say that, hey, we're living in this Mayberry, and we're not going to be touched by this stuff. That's just asking for disappointment and trouble. So the police department wants to know what's going on. We want to know how we can best serve the community. We want to educate the community on watching over each other when you're out with your friends in bars. We want to train the community. And this is a great tactic that I really like, that if you see a female out and about and you think that she's being I don't want to say preyed upon, but that's probably as accurate a word as there is preyed upon by some people that are like maybe trying to approach her and take advantage of her because she's intoxicated or something. Just go up to her and say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. You know, let's go hang out. Let's let's catch a coffee and kind of inject yourself into that situation. I think that's a fantastic way that you can help a stranger out, keeping an eye out for people spiking drinks if you feel so inclined carrying pepper spray. And that's a personal decision alaya has this great little tool that she carries with her that all you do is pop the pin for lack of a better word out of it and it emits a siren that is going to draw attention to you and probably ward off an attacker there's another app a cell phone app that we shared with the cause group and i don't know what the name of it is off the top of my head but you download it it accesses your gps and if you're walking from your work to car or home to to car or whatever, you activate this app and you hold your thumb on a button on your screen. And then when you get to where you're going and you feel safe, you release it and you type in your PIN number, and that tells the program that you're safe. But alternately, if for some reason you just let go of that and you don't type in your PIN because you feel like you're in trouble... And it knows where you're at because it geolocates you via the satellite system, and it will contact dispatch and say, one of our subscribers is in trouble at this location. Can you send the police there? So we want to engage all members of the community. But, again, right now we're talking about the female members of the community in finding ways to make everybody feel safe, to make everybody actually safe, and addressing the problems when they do, in fact, come up
1: that's cool that technology is now playing it sounds like an instrumental part in giving the potential victim the power to have a voice what else can the police department do or what else can citizens do i mean clearly that's all fine as a protective mechanism but as a preventative what is going on with the male population whereby it's still such a disheartening situation that men are taking advantage of women in this way. You mentioned something about spiking drinks.
2: It's a problem everywhere. And Ashland has a reputation in some circles for uh, it it being especially prevalent here. But it's a problem everywhere. It's a problem in every town and it's a problem in every university community. It's something that we all have to watch out for. And so the Ashland police department does work with Jackson County SART, which is Jackson County sexual assault response team, a wonderful partner named Susan Mowen, And uh, we partner with Susan to give instruction and coaching to bar staff on how to identify people that are perhaps being set up for victimization techniques to intercede and make sure that that person gets home safely instead of falling into the hands of a predator. So that's a good partnership. You know, one of the things that I want to ask the community to do is to tell us what's going on. And it can be as simple as you shoot us an email or a message and you say, Hey, I walk home from a downtown bar and I have to walk through the plaza and walk to, you know, where I park in the railroad district at two o'clock in the morning and I don't feel safe. Is there something you can do? And I don't have an absolute answer for that, but I want to know and this is one of the great things that's coming out of the partnership with Alea and Cause, I want to know where people are not feeling safe so that we can try to direct controls. But But if I don't know the problems that people are facing, I can't do anything to address those problems. One of the biggest pet peeves I have is when people come to me and they say, I've been compiling a list over the last two years about issues. And... I want the police department to do something about that. That's fine. You know, I'm glad you're coming to me, but I really wish you would have told me about this stuff in real time so we can address it in real time. You know, if there's an issue, let us know about it. I can't guarantee that we're going to be able to do something about it, but I guarantee we won't be able to do something about it if you don't tell us about it. So this is not a police only thing. It's a community partnership thing. We need our community to partner with us and give us the information we need to make everybody feel safer.
1: Have you tried conducting some kind of town hall meetings, getting people physically involved with distributing this message through the police department and through SART and through ALEA's organization, demonstrating that there is a zero tolerance for this kind of behavior, that you are on it, and that you're personally letting the community know that you are, and as I know, very available, and that you are concerned and willing to put yourself physically out there to distribute this kind of messaging?
2: Well, that's one of the things that's coming out of the cause group, the town hall meetings. There's already been at least one meeting that I did attend, the first meeting of the cause group, which was open to everybody in the community and it had a good turnout and there was some good stuff discussed there. And then I know that Alea has been hosting some other events that perhaps aren't appropriate for me to be at because she wants to create a safe space for people to share and I totally respect that. So one of the things that you touched on, and I I think it's important that we really drive this home, is that there is this toxic aspect of our society globally that you're allowed to be demeaning to women, you're allowed to catcall, you're allowed to reduce them to less than, and that's part of this, that there has to be this major cultural shift, not just within Ashland, but within the county, state, country globally, that does not allow men to put women into a minimized position and to make them feel uncomfortable. And that's something that I don't have a great answer for, but I'm very eager to be a part of that solution because it's something that has to change. And until that changes at its core, then we're not going to have a real long-term solution to the rest of this. We can try to put band-aids on, but until society changes and recognizes that women are not less than, then these problems are going to continue.
1: Well, I think you're alluding to the obvious nature of most of all our problems, which is a lack of an appropriate education around human behavior, because this is something that is simply not addressed in school, And frankly, by the time children get to middle school, they should have a very well-rounded respect for each other, and it has to be made a priority as a pivotal and primary point of education for human beings. I know that alcohol and drug abuse is a problem on campuses. I know that as a former taxi driver, which is how you and I established our nice rapport, that there are people going out and getting drunk and fucked up every night I would imagine that some of this behavior is contributive to some of the problems that are arising between young men and women.
2: I think that it all does contribute, and the blame for bad behavior always rests on the suspect, never the victim. I'll say that all day, every day. I also think it's important that everybody learn to watch out for oneself and watch out for your fellow human beings, your fellow community members, especially those that are most at risk. You know, we need to learn to pay attention when an intoxicated person looks like they're talking to the wrong person and inject ourselves into that situation. You're talking about some really foundational stuff with educational shifts and whatnot, as I was talking about some foundational stuff with cultural shifts. And that's such a big problem. I don't know where to begin on that one. But I think that Alea and her group are a part of that answer, and I'm excited that I'm a part of that process.
1: What is the police department doing from perhaps an educational standpoint of coming into the college campus? I mean, you've got, I don't know how many thousand students there, but it sounds like there needs to be an impression made by local authorities with these young people that this is non-tolerable behavior and that you're watching them and they can't get away with it? Or what kind of educational steps have been taken by perhaps SART to go into schools and start identifying some kind of curriculum that will help potentially correct some of these behaviors?
2: Yeah, I know that SART has some educational engagement in Ashland, but I would let Susan speak to that because she can do it way more intelligently than I can. As far as what the Ashland Police Department does with the university, my answer is that I'm sure we don't do enough, and I know that we do some stuff. I know that we have officers and or command officers that go and talk to the athletic teams and make sure that they understand what the rule book is. We've got a great relationship with campus public safety. We do some drug awareness work up at the university every year through the Elks Lodge, and I know that we can do much more. So... We do some, and, you know, there's always more to do.
1: Well, I appreciate whatever it is you're doing because, like I said, I do have a teenage daughter. We do live in the real world, and Ashlyn is part of that.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it kind of Mayberry-esque, but it ain't Mayberry, and we've got real-world problems here, and we need to do everything we can to protect against them and just as important to respond compassionately and intelligently to them after they happen. So, you know, the, the biggest one that I have for your daughter— for anybody that is in a at-risk part of the community is say something to somebody. If you see something, don't keep it to yourself. If you're victimized, don't keep it to yourself. Get the emotional help that you need. It doesn't need to be coming and talking to a scary police officer. It can be going to a school counselor or calling somebody like Susan Mullen or calling another sexual assault advocate or just talking to a mentor or somebody that you feel comfortable talking to but just say something to somebody to relieve that pressure off of your shoulders get the help that you need and if you internalize that then it stays with you through life and it does more and more damage as you go on so you need to relieve yourself of that pressure and if you do feel like reaching out to the police we're here for you i got to put in a plug for our sexual assault reporting program you have options because it's appropriate to this and i'm so proud of it if somebody is sexually assaulted the Ashland Police Department created and founded a revolutionary way of reporting sexual assault. You can go online and make an anonymous report. You can do a full report online and say that you don't want it investigated. You can request the full report. We leave as much control as possible in the hands of the sexual assault survivor because sex assaults are so much more complicated than other crimes. The vast majority of them happen at the hands of somebody that you know. They're grossly underreported, so we want to remove as many barriers as possible to sexual assault reporting so that the victim can get the help that she needs, both emotionally and physically, and we can hold people accountable long-term.
1: That's awesome. I really appreciate your time, Ty. I think the community is very pleased that you're in charge. I'm glad that you got away and got a break.
2: Thanks, Mark, and thanks for uh, carrying this message to everybody. It's important that as many people hear it as possible.
1: Thank you, Ty. Enjoy the rest of your day, man. All right. Take care, bud. Have a good day. Hey, Robert Wagner. Hey, Mark. How are you feeling today?
0: Open. Excited. Life is continuing to transform day after day, week after week. It's a good ride. Sometimes it's a little bumpy, but it's a good ride.
1: Yeah. I've known you over 10 years, haven't I? Yeah. And we did a little something together at some point.
0: Yeah, we did a few things.
1: Yeah. One specifically, the what do men and women want thing we did over there at the community center here in Ashland, Oregon. That was fun. I don't know your perspective. I'd love to actually hear, because I only know what I think that I remember. For me, it was an opportunity for
0: the community to come forward and
1: vent, express,
0: share, really open up to what was going on for them, the dynamic between men and women, and what do we want? So I thought it was a perfect opportunity for our town of Ashland to explore that. And if you recall, we were quite packed.
1: I do remember getting up to like 100 people in there.
0: Yeah, and a lot of conversations, some tensions, people coming from all different angles. But there was this appreciation for the venue to be able to talk openly and not to feel like you had to mute it. And I think we did three gatherings. Yeah. It was a good opportunity.
1: I thought it was pretty interesting. uh, And people were very forthcoming and wanting to share their information (laughs) because I think they're dying To have an intelligent conversation. Yeah. Why do they feel that they can't?
0: I think a lot of it is it's not necessarily socially acceptable, politically correct. So we need to give individuals opportunities to share. I mean, it comes up in a lot of the work that I do that I find once you give them permission, if you will, to express or share.
1: What is it you're doing specifically?
0: I create safe space for people to really open.
1: Men and women?
0: Men and women. It can be in a group setting. It could be an individual setting. It can be with couples. In a sense, creating a safety so people can really just let down the guard and then let out the feelings, let out the emotions, let out what's going on inside for them. And it's not about being right or wrong. This is your experience. Do you want a different experience than you're having? Do you want to express something to your partner that you haven't said for a long time? And just having that third element or that container that it's okay. And uh, I'm always amazed. I think there's a lot of hiding that goes on with each of us in our own way. There's the part of us that we show, that we interact with people. But I think deep down there's a lot of hurt or wounding or just bullshit that we don't know what to do with. So we put up a facade so people can't really see what's going on inside. And when we're giving the space or the opportunity to start to peel that back and let out some of that bullshit, I've seen it time and time again, that people start to really wake up to who they are and why they're here. Why am I in this game of life and what am I supposed to do? But when you peel back the layers or you give yourself the opportunity to shift into neutral, if you will, and be alone, say, in nature... That little voice that's been whispering your entire life really gets to be heard. And it's a wake up.
1: Yeah, I tell people, go walk in the park 45 minutes a day. And it's the best therapy you can do for yourself. And uh, don't take your brain with you. Uh, Try and leave it as behind as you can. And just enjoy the concept of walking in nature, breathing in the green light and enjoying yourself.
0: Yeah. And it can be as simple as you say, just a walk in the park. Or it can be going on a vision quest, if you will and actually really disengaging from your day-to-day life routine and immersing yourself into an experience that's huge.
1: Do you offer that?
0: Yeah. My work is Wild Sacredness, and one of the aspects of that work is the Vision Quest Ceremony. I have three doors, you could say, to open. The first is relationship with oneself, and the Vision Quest gives you that profound opportunity to really dive into who you are, what your gifts are, once you peel back those layers, get out away from your day-to-day routine and just really immerse yourself in nature, it can be a fasting experience, you know, a water fast or three days and three nights or four days and four nights. That noise, that chatter, that got to do, got to produce, got to make something happen that's always going on, when you step back from it and go out into the wilderness, The pressure that's inside you is greater than what the pressure is in nature. But once you're in that environment, that inner pressure starts to purge. People on a quest will purge in a lot of different ways. Some from the fasting experience will purge physically. Mainly it's emotional purging. And it can be crying, yelling, whatever. Or just letting all those miscellaneous thoughts unfold and just leave. And when all that pressure starts to normalize again and you become... In tune with the nature around you, that voice, that inner guidance becomes really clear, really loud in a way. Because you might have heard a whisper of it most of your life, but until you've really given the opportunity to sit still in nature and hear it, that's where the magic is. To me, that's where the quest power of it comes from hearing that inner guidance. And because you're on a journey that's not easy, I mean, being on a vision quest is by far not a vacation. You're not eating. You're only having water. We call them the three taboos. No food, no human contact, and minimum shelter. Shelter, in a sense, there's no tent. There's no piece of nylon to shield you. You're only having a sleeping bag. It's amazing, that little piece of vinyl, how you feel a level of protection. But when you take that away, you're exposed. So when you have that kind of experience, it's a gauntlet. You make it through that, you're so empowered. When people come back after three or four days of fasting, I always say they look sort of like the cat drug them in. They're dirty, they're disheveled, but there's this bright glow. And there's a smile in their face. It's like, oh my God, I did it. So for me, that tool was extremely powerful some 20 years ago when I went on my first vision quest.
1: How did that happen for you? And what were the circumstances that drove you to it?
0: Well, at the time I was going through a separation with my wife of about 18 years. And uh, she had Native American heritage. And We were on the phone one day just chatting and I was expressing what was going on, the blockage, the unhappiness with life in general. And she just said, sounds like you need to go on a vision quest.
1: Straight up like that. Just
0: like that. Light went off inside. Three weeks later, I was on my first vision quest outside of Big Sur on a Native American land. And it rocked my world. It changed
1: my life. What was the experience that you were guided through?
0: There was just a small group of us. We went up into the mountains. We had to do three days and three nights alone in a circle not larger than 12 feet in diameter.
1: Just yourself? Just yourself. It's like a meditative thing?
0: Meditative thing on the side of a mountain, a gallon of water per day. Didn't see anybody, didn't eat anything, just alone in nature with a sleeping bag. For a lot of Western folks, it's a bit of a stretch. And it's one of those things when you feel that desire, that call that I got to do something in my life. Some people lean towards that. They at least explore it. But for me personally, it just opened me up in another way. It empowered me and gave me a depth of clarity about who I am and why I'm here. And what do I want to do with this one precious life that I have? And to me, it's that journey of healing. I
1: realized that's
0: one of the gifts I want to give.
1: How old were you at the time? 40-ish. How so old are you now?
0: Turned 60 in September.
1: You look good when you take care of yourself. That's well,
0: true. <laughs> I always attribute my mother was Hungarian. I'll
1: tell you what else you can attribute that to is living in Ashland, man. Everyone I know, and I've been here 15 years, looks exactly the same. <laughs> it's true. I look at everybody. You do too. We're
0: all the same. It's this timelessness.
1: Yeah, and there is something energetically here that's happening. And of course, there's so many people here that provide human services. Yes. In such a dense little population.
0: It's a healing community. From what I understand, the Native Americans, they would lay down their weapons to come to Lithia Springs. And it was a place of peace and rejuvenation. This was just like one of those sacred grounds. So there definitely is a strong vibration here of healing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of us come here for that. And if we're called to give our gifts here, then we do. Or we replenish ourselves and then we go back out into the real world.
1: Yeah, a lot of people don't like going back out in the (laughs) real world.
0: (laughs) What do they say? When you come to Ashland, you may not stay, but you will always come back. Just being in this community, there's healing going on. I felt that the first time I came here. It's like, this is home.
1: When did you come?
0: Um, September 15th of 2001. 9-11 happened on the way out. Where were you? I was with my daughter at the time. Well, actually, if I back up a little bit, I had an astrocartography reading. This is so Ashlyn.
1: What is that?
0: It's a reading about where on the planet would be the best place for what you want to create in your life at this time. So it's Jyotish Vedic Astrology. So I had a reading and it was like two hours long. And she mentioned Boone, North Carolina. And I grew up on the East Coast. I said, no, I'm done with the East Coast. It's got to be something out West. And her name was Nan. She was quiet on the phone. After a little bit, I go, I go, Nan, are you still there? She goes, all right, Robert. I see a triangle from Corvallis, Oregon to Lake Tahoe to Eureka, California. Within that triangle is where you should be. And I go, that's that's cool, but that's huge. Can you be a little more specific? She was quiet again. And then she said, okay, Robert, go to Ashland, Oregon. You'll know if it's home within three days. Wow. So, on that wow. one note, it's like, okay, I'm going. Back then, 20 years ago, the internet wasn't a tool that I used that much. Right. So, I called up my daughter who was living in uh, Iowa. I was in Pittsburgh. Picked her up on the way. Drove all the way out here. 9-11 happened. While you were on your way?
1: Yeah. Where were you when it hit?
0: I was at a hotel. And I remember coming down into, it was Idaho or something like that. Coming down to the lobby and everyone's gathered around the TV set and... I just walked up and started watching and go, wow, that's an incredible simulation. And somebody leaned over and said, that's happening right now. It's not a simulation. And it was just like... The energy of that day, I'm sure everyone has their own recollection of what happened, but no planes, all the state parks were closed. Everyone had a, what I recall, a sense, total strangers. There was like a, a bond, a connection that we're all going through this together. And it just opens... The connection yeah so that was powerful and then i got here and on the fourth day i had my apartment where was that chestnut street okay. near the hospital yeah and uh
1: did you been, move in with your daughter
0: no no she just came out for the ride okay but it was kind of trippy because we got to town and two days later i put her on a plane <laughs> to go back to iowa and oh. i was like i felt a little uneasy putting her on a plane when that whole nine eleven 11 happened but she was fine And I was here. Didn't know anybody. And you were by yourself, right? Yeah. I was going through, as I mentioned, a separation, which ended up in a divorce. So I just pretty much stayed to myself for about a year. You had
1: your vision quest before this? Yeah. Okay. I had probably
0: four vision quests because I do one every year. Okay. But this was just a time of healing. I needed to retreat and to get clear on what and who I am again.
1: And uh, it was... A
0: great place to come to
1: who's the first person you met do you remember
0: that i recall it was at the co-op i was sitting out front someone was chesley he was sweeping or something out front and uh, this lovely girl i can't recall her name who worked at the co-op asked me if she could sit down and have lunch with me just out of the blue chesley looks at me he says well aren't you lucky <laughs>
1: it's like and you just I, rolled into town right? i just rolled into town it's uh-huh. like okay
0: I guess she didn't want to sit by herself, and I looked safe. Yeah. I just knew it was a good choice. It was the right choice for me at that time.
1: Yeah. The lunch or moving here?
0: All of it. Okay. (laughs) That was a good sign, the lunch. That's a brilliant
1: sign. Are you kidding? To be welcomed (laughs) like that by a pretty girl? That's ridiculous.
0: (laughs) But I've been here since, and I'm feeling that change again, though. It's like things are shifting again for me. In what way? I might find another place to land. Okay. It's been 18 years or so. Yeah. And circumstances in life are just presenting themselves. I always say when aspects of my life start to get loud, like real loud, then it's time to pay attention and to move on. And every time I've done that through my life, probably four major times, it's always been a great guidance.
1: Do you need to just take a trip or you need to be living someplace else?
0: Well, at the moment, I'm thinking of going someplace Like Bali for a few months.
1: Yeah, well, that's what I do. I go to Thailand. That's right. Very cool. I sold everything I owned and left for quiet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm basically thinking of doing this, selling everything. And that's
1: why I live the way I live now in this quasi hotel room that's furnished, because I don't want anything that's going to keep me from doing anything. I want to travel light through life now.
0: I like that. I like that approach. Travel light. You describe that lightness of being and the outward letting go of things that we're attached to is a beautiful metaphor of doing it internally. It's just being really present to what's going on in life and not the attachment or the expectation that tends to disappoint us.
1: I actually don't have a problem with the word attachment. I have a problem with clinging. We're attached to the earth. We cannot avoid attachment. <laughs> we're planted on some level. But we don't have to cling to concepts or people or things, because that, to me, is dangerous when you can't let go, like a cat on curtains.
0: Well, you're holding on for dear life.
1: That's it. And most people are holding on to their truths, whatever those might be, however they came to them, as if they are real life. Hmm. And most of those things are not. There's some human-manufactured story, concept. We don't know anything, really, other than our own experience that we think we can articulate. We don't know anything.
0: But I think the ego holds identification. Who do I think I am? That facade that we put out to show everyone, this is who I am. But inside, there's this little boy, a little girl, just screaming, terrified. And when there's a safe container, I think we can start letting that fear go, attachment go. One caveat to that, if we allow ourselves to be more open, then I would say the flow happens more spontaneously. Oh, sure. No doubt. Much more powerful. No question. No question analogy of going down the stream and then clinging to something or fighting and swimming upstream because you really want something to be a certain way or this is what you feel you need to have it takes so much energy but when we open up and we trust and we let go and we just flow with the stream sometimes it's not that easy but it is totally easy to just flow and that's the beauty of that shifting in the neutral going out into the wilderness taking a walk in the park Do it with your shoes off so your bare feet are touching the earth. Just 15, 20 minutes a day can do wonders for how you feel about yourself, about your partner, about your relationships, just about your life. I come from a family business back east.
1: What kind of business?
0: We manufacture industrial shredding and baling equipment. Our father passed a few years ago. My two younger brothers run the business. I do a little bit of consulting with him. But that drive that, oh, I have to, you know, wake up. I have to do something. Sometimes it's such a blessing to wake up. I'm not going to do anything today. You know, in each generation, I think, puts a different spin on it, if you will. But the core flow is very structured. But I think in this lineage that flows from generation to generation, there's that innate wisdom and hope. Because we're not the first generation to think, oh, we can change this. I think every generation has this level of waking up shaking the box, and uh, it's going to take a hell of a lot of shaking, but it's a process. And I would even venture to say that even though the world seems very fucked up right now, this is all part of the process. It's perfect. Yeah. Depends on how you want to look at it. Considering it's a dimension based on duality, we're always going to have that polarity. And I think a lot of that is give people the opportunity for them to see. It seems we sort of pound that out of the children. I think they come here with incredible clarity and wisdom. And we make sure that that's squashed by the time they get into formal school. So that ability to have that incredible intuition or that knowingness, we just like, no, you got to do it our way. So when you graduate high school or college and then it's like,
1: I don't know, but a couple of couples in 15 years that are still married. And I know tons of people here, don't you? Yeah. And aren't they almost all divorced?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people come here, myself, going through divorce or recently divorced. It's obviously a healing place, but this town is filled with single parents. This town is filled with single women. I've been single for like a year. It's like, why can't we seem to find each other or find that connection between each other? you were involved in the last single mixers we put together yeah we put eight of them together in this town total fun it was a great experience a lot of women showed up we had to sometimes twist some men to show up but it was a cool experience
1: why do you think you had to twist the men
0: it was an odd thing i don't know if men felt that that was the kind of venue they wanted to go to
1: well they're used to not good venues like bars
0: one of the most powerful mixers we had was for the LBGT community. And even though we didn't have a large turnout, it was incredible for me personally to hold that space and to meet everyone. We have this light structure to the evening, but this one we just sat in circle and we just each went around. I would throw out a question and everybody would take their turn with it. And what I walked away from that incredible evening with everyone was we all want to be loved just as we are. If I'm gay, if I'm heterosexual, or if I'm trans, it doesn't matter. I just want to be loved for who I am, and to me, that was such a core theme that's made a big shift in my life and just how I connect with people. Just love everyone just as they are. They don't have to agree with you politically or socially or whatever. Just love them and give them the opportunity to embrace their view of the world. They might even influence your own but to shame people or get down on people or criticize people because they see something in a slightly different view than you do. I was doing installation work for the family business 10 years ago, and this guy was about to retire. I needed parts, so he took me into town to a hardware store. And we're just chatting, I, I think his name was Bill. I go, Bill, so what are you gonna do when you retire? He says, I love designing and painting parking lot spaces. And I'm thinking in my head, wow. But then there was like, damn, why not? This is what he wants to do. Go for it. You could feel the energy, the excitement about it. He was into it. So I don't care what fills you up or what makes you glow or makes you happy. Just do it. If we just all did what we love and what makes us happy, hell, the world would be heaven. And I think some of that has been happening throughout time in native cultures. They lived with the earth. They worshiped the earth. They had that connection that made a huge difference. Here we are 200 years later or so after wiping out their culture, we're embracing it on different levels again because we need that connection with who we are. Yeah, I think it comes back to that emotional maturity, getting people to start to take ownership and realize who they are and why they're here. Again, whatever it takes, it can be a vision quest. It can be counseling or whatever avenue works for the individual, but Start to become the best version of yourself. Don't wait. Don't waste your life. My experience of people I've worked with and people that come on quests, they have those moments in their life. It's like, this ain't what I want anymore. It's like a huge wake-up call. There's a quote, don't ask the world what you want. Ask what the world wants from you. So you were born back east? Yeah. Where? Outside of Cleveland, Ohio, a little town of Fairview Park. What year was that? 1958.
1: So you were early enough in the 60s. You were a little kid.
0: Yeah, 10, 11 years old in the late 60s. I mean, I vaguely remember seeing things on TV. I started becoming much more aware when I was in high school.
1: How'd you do in school? A's. I was a good boy. I could see you with your little briefcase walking around (laughs) school.
0: I was wound way tight. A couple of things I remember that were pivotal. I remember when I was 20, my father was 30 years older. He was 50. And I remember thinking, wow, he's really got his shit together. And then when I turned 50, I said, he didn't have his shit together, man. He's just doing the best he could. And honestly, my parents both did a pretty amazing job, considering how crazy.
1: How many of you are there?
0: Six siblings. Catholic family. A religious
1: family? Yes.
0: i and- down, say the rosary at least once a week. Went to church every Sunday. Was a Boy Scout. Sold donuts in the back of the church. Was an altar boy. This is what you do. Right. My folks were great for the most part. My mother was always at home, always was available. When I turned 15, started working for the family business, I sort of traded in my father for a boss. The only way to keep connected to him as I was growing up and became an adult was just having that connection through the business. It was like the king and the land are one. My father and the business were one. And that's just the way it
1: was. Yeah. How'd you guys get along?
0: Good. For the most part, we had some pivotal moments. One of the other reasons I moved out west from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is I remember I grew up in Pennsylvania, but I moved to Iowa. I went to college at Maharishi International University, and that's Transcendental Meditation. But what was interesting when I uh, was in Fairfield, it was like Ashland in a different way, but it was very vanilla for me. It was like we're all followers of Transcendental Meditation, Maharishi Maheshogi, which was a beautiful experience. But at one point, I realized I needed to move my family back to Pittsburgh and work at the family business, full-time, the whole thing. How old were you then? 35.
1: How many children do you have? Just
0: one. Okay. It's the same age as my daughter is now. She's 35. Okay. What was interesting, when I moved back, I was there, built a house on my parents' land, and things were lining up. And I went into my father's office, and I said, you know, I moved back, I'm here, You have three sons in the business. I'm the eldest son. When do you think we can start shifting things? And you let us have the reins for a little bit so we can learn the business under your guidance. And uh, without missing a beat, he looked at me, he says, I built this business for myself, not for my sons. So that was one of those wake up calls for me. I remember walking out of his office thinking to myself, I'm done. I got to get out of this. And he did you a favor. I know. I know. Within a year, I was out of there, and I was heading this way. Yeah. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Of course. There's that quote from Anais Nin. She says, someone once gave me a box of darkness. It took a few years, but I also realized that was a gift. Yeah. When I moved out here, I still worked from a distance with the family business, but then I went into part-time. Talk about a beautiful way to have a lifestyle is you work when you want to work, like you're doing. And it's just... Giving one's gifts.
1: Man, I wish this for everybody. I do. The least we could do for everybody is give them their fundamental needs. Just take care of people.
0: Mm-hmm. I always like to mention the couples that are having difficulty in relationship. If there's something you notice missing in your relationship, it could be like, wow, well, he doesn't listen to me as much anymore. When you notice something's missing, instead of insisting your partner brings it, give it to them. So if you want more quality time, then give more quality time. You want more closeness and intimacy, then give more closeness. It's more of what a relationship's about. A friend of mine says once the sex goggles fall off, it's like, now what? You see them for who they are. Are you going to step in and embrace that, or are you going to shy away from it? It's a choice. I think once that happens, once that honeymoon or romance has started to unravel, how entangled are you with this person?
1: It's all about we don't know what we need to know. The most important information that we should have is withheld from us. And we suffer from this. And that's what creates loneliness. Not knowing who and what you are and how to be with other people. And I think the biggest illness on the planet is loneliness. Mm. Not being alone. We got 7 billion people plus on the planet, but you can be here with 7 billion people and feel like there's not a oh, yeah. soul around.
0: Being in a crowded room and feeling very lonely. Yeah.
1: How sad is that? It's very sad. Everybody wants to just be loved. Like you said, we have to teach people how to love each other unconditionally. Love themselves. Yes. How do you do that? You just foster who they are from the get-go. You nurture them. You explore with them. You give them tools to explore themselves. You make it a positive, growing experience. Positive. Right essential. The unavoidables are going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it except prepare people better informationally on how to deal with that experience.
0: Here's an experience that I recall and I share when I teach couples a lot about sexuality. I was probably four years old, had to go to the bathroom. I was in my grandmother's house, bless her, but she probably didn't know from where she was coming from. And I was a little boy, so I had to pee. So I'd hold myself with my hand She slapped me across the face and she says, don't you ever touch yourself like that. Now, a four-year-old, that's a huge impact. It's interesting how the wounding can start at such a young, raw age. And she was coming from her upbringing. So it's like the wound is continually passed down generation to generation. I've done it to my daughter. I remember distinctly I'd wake up every morning being a Virgo and very conscious about time and responsibility and all that. She would love to sleep in. She'd miss the school bus. We'd have to drive her in. So I constantly would harp on it, wake her up earlier. And so what ended up happening one day, my wife made breakfast. and My daughter was running late. And I said, why don't you just come down and we'll have some breakfast. No, dad, I'm running late. I got to get to school. And she runs out the door. And it's just like this thud in my heart. It's like, what have I done? I basically squashed this sort of dreamy, timeless young woman, and I just forced what I thought was the right thing. So here I am perpetuating the wound.
1: Yeah. And we do Mm. a lot of that unknowingly, unintentionally. It's just a natural habit. It was a huge wake-up call. And it's like,
0: fuck, I'm doing the same thing I'm trying not to
1: do. Right. We're all hypocrites, man. That's why you have to teach awareness. You know, I did this thing with my daughter to teach her how to be the witness to herself. Mm. She was going through a lot of problems, and I was overseas, Mm -hmm. I had her go through an exercise of looking at Zoe, being the witness on the outside, watching what Zoe's doing and becoming accountable Mm. for her own behavior and not blaming other people. How are you responding to this situation? What are your feelings when this is going on? And it changed everything for her.
0: Mm. Beautiful.
1: I think it's something we need to teach everybody is that's part of the loving yourself is by watching yourself. Not worrying about what everybody else is doing. We don't have time to judge anybody else. This is a full-time job. (laughs) We barely have time to go to our own jobs, really, if we were doing this really well. This requires every second of our attention. And that requires discipline, teaching discipline to teach Mm -hmm. someone to monitor themselves. But because we are so distracted by life and all the things we think we're supposed to be engaged in, we let this go. If we want to transition into a much higher level of consciousness for all of us. We need to start paying attention to ourselves... And then at the same time, we need to come up with an agreement amongst human beings. This is what we're willing to do. Because I think you can get everybody to pretty much agree on the fundamentals. That we don't want to kill each other. That we're willing to make sure everybody has food and water and shelter. Just simple agreements.
0: The essentials.
1: The essentials. When we get to the point where we decide that just as a species, that this is what we're going to do. That we check in with each other. And we're going to make sure that we're living constitutionally amongst each other, Mm. things would just be a little bit easier.
0: So where do we begin?
1: With what we're doing right now. Yeah. You have a conversation that has to lead to action. There has to be action. Action in our own worlds. That's right. We're being watched Mm. in some way. Mm -hmm. Call it whatever you want, but we're being watched and we have to be accountable for our behavior and what we do and how we express ourselves as if we're getting a giant report card. (laughs) This is school, man. You don't have to go into a building and sit in a chair for hours. You're in school every day. Mm -hmm. And the teachers are all of us and our experience every day. Whether we're making notation of that or leveraging that experience is another thing. But that all has to come through being self-aware.
0: And the more we're self-aware, the more good we can bring to this whole experience.
1: Yeah. It can be a lot more fun. I want people to have fun this can be fun. And some people are having fun every day. Mm -hmm. They've figured out how to have fun every day and making that part of the fun, serving and bringing fun to others.
0: I think the capacity is definitely there. And it's really getting in tune with oneself. What works for me? What makes me happy? What's my gift that I can give? And just having that experience is so simple. Having the children in school serve fellow classmates. That's it, man. Just something like that. So basic. But we are who we are. And this is our journey. Right. So we make the most of it. Wake up. Wake up the children. Do the work. And just give them a safe container and then they do the
1: work. Yeah, I can't do anything for you just like you can't really yeah. do anything for me other than present.
0: I've walked down this road and this is what worked for me. I'm offering you an opportunity to walk down
1: your road. Now this is what the Native Americans did. This is something we've lost. When we killed them, we killed the whole ideal of healthy tribalism. Mm.
0: Well, I mean, it was an initiation process for young men who would become leaders of the tribe. They had to go through this shift from boyhood to manhood. So they basically pushed them far into the edge. Tribes back then, they lived in the wilderness. For them to go on a water fast, not a big deal. So they would do a dry fast. No water, no food, no human contact basically drop them off somewhere in a desert give them a blanket four days later they would have to get back to their tribe and uh, huge awakenings anybody who goes out in nature for any period of time is going to have some level of waking up sure so depending on how far you want to push that edge tuning into who we are and listening to that and then acting on it it's scary though the fear of well maybe my gift isn't worthy or maybe nobody will like it or want it. That's one of the questions that come out on quest. You're never going to know if you don't offer it. You have to step out of your comfort zone. And once you step out of your comfort zone, what I find in my life is my comfort zone expands. When I came here 18 years ago, I made a promise to myself that I'm going to say yes to whatever's offered to me in this new environment, this new little town of Ashland. And the old Robert, would have never done half the things I've done just because I made a commitment. And when I catch myself hearing that, yeah, I should say yes, but I just drop it. and I push myself into it. But I've done some things that are like way out on the edge in the old Robert's view. I've chased women down the sidewalk just to get their phone number. I would have never even considered yeah. that. It wasn't that I needed that connection with her. I just wanted to push myself or it could be doing presentations at the colleges around here, which I've done numerous ones, or Love Revolution doing talks on sexuality. It just pushed me beyond my usual comfort zone. And just more of who my potential is and right. what I'm here to do. So I think the more that we can encourage our children or even our family and friends to step outside their comfort zone, whatever that is. And I really believe that the juice, the excitement, the thrill of life, is just on the other side of your comfort zone. One of the exercises we did for a while was the stretch. We go around the circle of men and it says, "Oh, what's your stretch this week?" And then you'd have to come back the following week and check in. One of mine was that I'm terrified of singing, so I signed up for three sessions, and there's a whole story to it. But um, literally, I didn't really sing much. I just made sounds and cried. <laughs> it was just like a lot of emotion, a lot of holding back all these years of not feeling that I had a voice that was worthy to be heard. And it was a hugely healing process. But to go back to the men's the following week and say, "I did it. I did what I said I was going to do." And I shared the whole
1: experience. And that is empowering to others when you are willing, willing. to go beyond your fear. It does open up doors for others to go, okay, if that knucklehead fucking did it, (laughs) I can certainly do do this. Yeah, because we're all knuckleheads just trying to do that. Yeah.
0: And it's, as you said, help each other. Encourage, inspire, even sometimes push each other a little bit just to stretch. Just knowing that that potential is there, that we can move towards that. Just having that in our awareness expands the envelope of our evolution. There's this uh, Rainer Marie Wilkie had this verse in a poem. It's to lie on one's deathbed and to realize one's gifts are still inside. What sadness that must bring. Mm. To live an entire life, say 70, 80 years in your laying in bed, dying. God, I didn't come here to do what I was meant to do. I was too afraid or I was too this or too that. What a
1: horrible way to go. Agreed. So, you know, you share the name with a famous actor. Have you ever been able to leverage it for anything? Well, one time I did give an autograph.
0: I was renting a car and this younger uh, woman was just enthralled that I was Robert Wagner. Didn't she know what he looked like? I don't know, but I signed something for her and she was all blissed out. I was like, okay. That's fantastic. (laughs) What was interesting, one day I got a voice message from a woman. She goes, hi, Robert Wagner. My name's Natalie Wood. Can you call me back? It was a business thing. So was I called she really
1: them. Natalie Wood? Yeah, that was her name. Oh, my
0: goodness. So we just had a, a great time on the phone. I mean, because she's heard it her whole right. life, and I've heard it my whole life. Wow. Uh, as far back I was getting a haircut, I was probably five years old at a barber. I was with my dad, and you know, they put the board across the armrest yeah, on the chair and set that. me up there. And the barber says, do you know that you're named after a famous actor? <laughs> you know? it's like I was five. I had no idea what my... Did your parents, parents know when they named uh, you? I, well, with the last name Wagner, there's so many...
1: Yeah, it's kind of generic, yeah, you
0: know. Yeah, but it worked. It could have been worse. I could have been named after is, someone else. Is your mom still alive? Both parents have passed. Okay. Yeah. My mom passed eight, nine years ago. Uh, that was a powerful experience. Uh, the last time I saw her, I gave her a foot massage. She was 79, and she crossed over like a month after that. But she was already, in a sense, there because my conversation with her She said, well, I I saw my parents this morning and very innocent, very childlike. She had dementia, but it was beautiful in a way. We come in as a child and she was going out as a child. Brilliant. Sounds perfect. And my father, on the other hand, it was all about his work. I mean, even though he was in the hospital and hooked up to machines and stuff. He was
1: clinging to his work. That was his life.
0: I remember giving him a book, Autobiography of a Yogi. And one chapter I highlighted, and I said, just read this one chapter. It's when Paramahansa is at a hotel in Bombay, I believe, and his master, resurrected master, comes back and visits him, and he gives him this entire discourse of what life is beyond this physical world. My father actually read it. So I think it lessened the fear Mm -hmm. of what's next. Maybe it's all make-believe, who knows. But the one thing that when he did finally cross over... For me, personally, it's like the shadow of expecting something from my father sort of vanished. It was just me now and my siblings, but there was a freedom about that. Like, finally, I don't have to seek approval
1: anymore. I think that is a very common thing. I think a lot of people, especially boys, after mm. their fathers pass, mm-hmm. they get their life mm. back.
0: Yeah, yeah. I remember when I learned how to facilitate vision quests. There's different processes we go through. And one was a mirroring process. We'd hold space while someone was sharing their story of their journey. And we would mirror that back to them. And they would never comment on how we did. And I was waiting for someone just to give me some indication that I'm following the flow, the process, the way it should be. We want validation. Yeah. So at one point, one of my teachers, guides, I just finished this involved mirroring process for this lovely woman from uh, Switzerland. And I just looked over and he just gave me the thumbs up and a little grin. And it was like, finally, I got some acknowledgement that I'm doing this work.
1: Well, more work to do. <laughs> Always is. You're sleeping in a sleeping bag under the stars with only water for a couple of days. Actually sounds like fun to me. I would love to have you join us. How big of groups do you take out?
0: It ranges. It can be one individual up to ten.
1: And you have a website people can look yes. into more things and, and stuff?
0: It's wildsacredness.com.
1: Okay. And uh, to
0: get the full spectrum of what I offer. Cool. And if anyone needs assistance financially, we have a Wild Sage Foundation that has some funds available.
1: Okay. so it's That's important to people because I think a lot of people would not do it because it's not financially viable for them. I
0: don't want to turn anyone away. I don't want finances to be the issue. It's a wonderful... Opportunity to really step outside your comfort zone and really get in touch with who you are, what your gifts are, and what's next in your life.
1: Robert, thanks so much. I appreciate you coming in and uh, chatting. And uh, we needed to reconnect anyway. It'd been a very long time.
0: Thank you for the opportunity, Mark, yeah, the invitation. Of course. Yeah, of course. good experience.
1: Yeah, super fun. All right, brother, enjoy the rest of your day. All the best. Cheers. Well, that's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank Chief Ty O'Mara for uh, coming on and talking about some of the problems that are going on in Ashland and have been going on for quite a while. He's a super nice guy, and I know that he's very concerned about this community and is taking the steps necessary to at least address some of the problems, maybe not be able to solve them per se, but at least deal with them as they arise. I was fortunate enough to have him as a customer in the taxi a few times, which is where we became a little more than just acquaintances. So I want to thank you, Ty, for coming on and and talking about what's happening with Ashland PD and what you guys are doing uh, to make life safer for the women of Ashland. I also want to thank Robert Wagner for his candid conversation about his life and what he's doing to help men and women in the Ashland community who may be struggling with their lives. We're always going to need these people in our lives until we decide to do the right thing, which is educate and train each other to a point where these kinds of problems simply do not exist anymore. Citizen 44 with Mark Arensberg is a listener-supported presentation. I'm very honored to present shows like this to you. A friend in the past couple of days said to me, why do you spend all this time doing this passion project when you don't make any money? I do it because it needs to be done. My passion is to help humanity. I wanna offer something up in return for the gift of the life that I've been granted. It's the least I can do. It's the least I can do. Thank you for listening. It's my honor to bring you the show. It's my honor to be here with you. Thank you. To find out more about Robert Wagner and the wonderful work he's doing, visit him online at wildsacredness.com. And to check in on the Ashland Police Department and Chief Ty O'Mara, visit them online at ashland.or.us, ashland.or.us
0: thank you Sam zoe and Val
2: if whatever you're doing is not working there's only one way you can change that and that's to change what you do 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 i am citizen 44.